the idea is to bring Bitcoin and libertarian ideas in a more palatable form to so-called normies. We all read all those Bitcoin books and some of us read those Austrian economics books. They're pretty dense, not really a page turner for most people. However, everybody likes good stories, whether it's movies or TV shows, this time it's book. But the story is the main point. So compelling human interest, high stakes stories that are somehow related to alternative Bitcoin related universes, like what might happen if Bitcoin becomes widely accepted or what might happen if things go wrong and we slip into some kind of a dystopia. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knuts von Holm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. And today we're joined by Nico Lominen, who is variously known as Omnifin, the shadowy super publisher, and the man who, without which, this show would not have been possible. So, Nico, welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for having me and thanks, Knud. Awesome to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I love your outfit, Nico. Uh, the shadowy super publisher outfit. So we, we're, we're here to talk about the latest consensus network project, which is a very interesting project that I'm uh, super proud to be involved in. It's called uh, 21 Futures and it's an analogy, uh, an, uh, an analogy? No, uh, uh, anthology. Oh, anthology. Yes. Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Bitcoin Anthology, it's uh, 21 stories about somehow connected to Bitcoin. It's mostly dystopian sci-fi, I think. But uh, tell us a bit more about the project, Nico, and how you came up with it and uh, how things are going. Uh, Will it be out for Christmas? Uh, All of this stuff. Sure, thanks. Yeah, uh, first of all, I did not come up with it. Uh, All credit goes to Phil, Philip Charter, who is the editor and also... Uh, my sort of language tutor helped me a lot with with my editing and and becoming a better writer. And then, of course, uh, during those lessons, I started already filling him using Knut's books. Uh, twenty one million, uh, everything divided by twenty one million was the first book I gave him. He really liked it and uh, tumbled down. And then one day, just uh, messaged me and uh, pitches this idea of a fiction anthology set in Bitcoin verse. And I was like, huh. That sounds really cool. I haven't heard of anything like that. Let's do it like immediately within the first five minutes. And that's how it started. And, uh, he, he has more experience in, in like short, short story writing. He's a writer himself. I didn't, I didn't know how, how you, you would go about it. So we started the gathering submissions. We put a big Twitter call and I believe we got more than 50 submissions, which was a little bit surprising to me. I didn't expect the, it to be so popular. Some were better, some were worse, but uh, in the end, after meticulously combing the the stories with Phil, we landed on 21 of our favorite stories, and and one of them is yours, Newt, of course, and one of them is uh, Yoni's, actually. That was a funny thing, because he wasn't even supposed to be in the, he declined the offer in the the first place, but then he changed his mind, and uh, it so happened that somebody just dropped out. So there was a slot for him. So Yoni is also included. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, about the project is uh, the idea, at least in my opinion, is to bring Bitcoin and libertarian ideas in a more palatable form and more accessible form uh, to so-called normies. We all re- read all those Bitcoin books, um, and some of the some of us re- read those Austrian economics books. They're pretty dense. Not really a page turner for most people, what they would consider spending their time on. 
However, everybody likes good stories. Everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> Whether it's movies or TV shows, this time it's book. Maybe there will be some, some movies as well made of those. But the story is the main point. So compelling human interest, high stakes stories that are somehow related to alternative Bitcoin related universes, like what might happen if um, you know, Bitcoin becomes widely accepted or what might happen if things go wrong and we slip into some kind of a dystopia, like you said, not correctly predicted. A lot of the stories are about that, uh, but there's also comedy, like uh, almost like crazy comedy. The variety is uh, staggering. I think we have authors from more than 10 countries, really uh, diverse set of voices and really different styles, like uh, reading it and putting it together has been a challenge, but a rewarding one. And I think people are going to really like it. There's a couple of really, really good stories that I'm not going to spoil here, but uh, once you get the book, I hope, I hope you're going to like it. And I think people will, but yeah, the, the enthusiasm from the authors has been amazing. Everybody's so excited to see this happen and it's a world first. So, so there's always that. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And you're too humble here, Nico, because you have a story in the book as well. I, I know that for a fact and I've read it and it's, uh, it's very good. It's better than mine. Definitely. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I really like that one. Would it be an accurate description to say that this is, if you think of the, uh, the TV series, black mirror, is this like orange mirror? <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I would say that there's maybe not all the stories are like doom and gloom and like dystopian. Some of them are, but also some are really optimistic about the future and they paint, paint a different kind of, uh, more bullish picture maybe. But yeah, I would say it's, it's more on the darker side, perhaps. Maybe it's because of the uncertainty surrounding Bitcoin and, and maybe also that Bitcoiners are generally better grounded and realistic and understand that, you know, things can, many things can go wrong when, when human action is involved and incentives. And if some things go wrong, like for example, if we have a nice story about AI becoming sentient and you know, stuff like that, uh, we don't know. Uh, but I, I guess those are the things that are in our mind and a lot of the authors they started the story with just one picture, one one idea uh, in the, in their mind, and built the rock world around that one concept and one one picture. Uh, yourself included, Knut. Yeah, I think the uh, the notion of writing something in a Bitcoin sort of futuristic Bitcoin setting makes for a pretty boring story, since everything's absolutely awesome in a Bitcoin future, where where all the problems have. Bitcoin has already fixed everything, so there are no stories left to be explored, right? Yeah, yeah, sort of like maybe, maybe, maybe my story is a little bit a negative take on that because in in my Bitcoin utopia, things have gone on the surface. It's sort of like it, nothing has changed. Like human nature is, uh, human action is sort of cyclical. Like the communism raises its head again and again and again, and people always think it's a good idea when it comes. And then things go to shit. So I, I took a bit of a, that, that kind of a take on it, like 200 years from now. Yes, a lot of things are some, in some meters can be said that it's better, but uh, the, the core problem of humanity, the violence and oppression has not gone away. And that's something that um, 
maybe I, I disagree with some Bitcoiners myself personally as well, that Bitcoin might not be a fixture of everything, that humans are the fixtures of everything. And it's up to the humans to use the tools in a way that is mutually beneficial to all. And how much of this is um, from life experience and how much of it is just uh, basic black metal, doom and gloom, Finnish uh, heritage? <laughs> I think everything is, is life experience. Like, you know, the school of life, it's sort of a meme that the people who didn't go to university, they're just like life schoolers or whatever you call them. Um, but everybody is in the life school, school of life. Like everything is... A, experience, we gather data, we analyze and process it and make predictions based on few uh, past events. Um, so everything is life, life experience. And well, I've read a lot of books. One thing that makes me less bullish about Bitcoin is that Australian economics books like Mary Rothbard's books, for example, have been around for decades and people don't still know it any better. You know, a lot of Bitcoiners don't even know the word praxeology, which is staggering to me. Like when I read those books. I sort of assumed uh, that uh, most people are familiar with these topics and then experience demonstrated the opposite. So there's a lot of work to do in, in educating people about these topics. And that's precisely the reason of, of 21 Futures, because let's be honest, like nobody's going to read a thousand pages of human action. Nobody, like maybe, maybe us, but, the, but that's it. And, and yeah, nobody's going to listen two twice. hours. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, me too. But uh, the, the first time it was uh, actually man, man, economy, the state, which is the better version of, of human action, in my opinion. But you get my point. Like the attention span is uh, that of a fruit fly nowadays. So if you don't have short form content, engaging content, you know, stuff that immediately tickles your fancy, you're going to lose people. And that includes beach corners. Like we're no no better, we're not immune to, to this uh, dopamine hook. So to try, I, I think we need to try to play within the market. Uh, it is what it is. I don't like it necessarily. I do like good stories. So there is a way to package these ideas in a, in a more palatable way, I believe. And this is one of them. Yes, and that is why we've, uh, uh, of course, edited this um, uh, eight-hour conversation down to... Around an hour. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about consensus in, in general. Like, um, what 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 is the uh, what what is the plan for consensus going forward? What what projects are on the horizon? Well, thanks for asking that. Yeah, it's um, it's been interesting to follow how the Starfish organization organically changes shape all the time and develops. And sometimes the direction may not be completely clear, but for example, right now we are clearly moving towards services, service provider rather than straight up publisher because self-publishing is so big. So people don't really need a publisher. Like I'm a publisher and I'm, I'm you know, I don't have any problem saying that because I'm not going to lose business because of that, because the, the self-publishers are still going to need typesetting, editing, cover design. All of that, none of that goes away. But the publication project itself, it's far away from the traditional publishing model that has been reigning for hundreds of years. And uh, I, th I think it happened during the last 
20, 10 years, maybe due to the internet mostly. And now the tools are so powerful with, with AI tools, rewriting tools, editing tools, translation tools. That is, it's rather trivial to write something. Of course, the content, uh, content creation side is still, um, still difficult, but in theory, anybody can just up and publish a book. It's not that difficult. So we offer the services for that as a self-publishing package. And I gotta say those packages sell way better than books at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I expect an explosion in books here now because of AI. Uh, but I heard about an interesting court case the other day where uh, someone was sued for uh, copyright infringement for publishing something that ChatGPT had spewed out. Do you know anything about that? Or uh, are there any concerns, copyright concerns with using AI? And uh, like, is that something that we consensus should be aware of and even afraid of? I mean, yeah, I follow it closely because we do use AI tools in our publications as well. So uh, it's always interesting to see. Of course, it's possible that something like that could be outlawed that you're, you're not allowed to use because they, most of the AI models, they are trained on data that is also somewhat copyrighted. Well, that does that mean that, uh, for example, if you walk outside and you see the sign of the, the commercial sign of Coca-Cola and you're inspired by the logo and you draw something similar because you use that as inf inspiration. Well, that does not constitute as copyright infringement. And I think AI is much the same. Of course, if you go to um, mid journey prompt or Dali and you type like, uh, I, I want this uh, black uh, ball eared mouse like cartoon figure doing something and then you make a cartoon out of it, then that might might take you to uh, closer to what might be called, uh, you know, a copyright infringement because you're clearly trying to imitate something that was not your idea. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of gray area, a lot of different kinds of rulings, but it's just a tool, just like uh, if you use Grammarly um, or any kind of other uh, AI writing assistant tool, they check for plagiarism, for example. So if you copy paste something that is uh, direct lift, obviously that's not okay. But if, if you get inspired by that and write something adjacent, that's a new product. I, I don't think much of that is going to change. Yeah, if you, uh, if you prompt it with a big-eared cartoon character, um, uh, then uh, uh, King Charles will, will definitely sue you immediately uh, for copyright infringement and using his face. So, uh, but I think this, this court case was actually, uh, someone who had copy pasted a prompt from chat or uh, an answer from chat GPT and was sued for that, for the answer that Ch chat GPT, uh, gave and not for something copy pasted from anywhere else on the internet. So, so that's, that might be a concern going into the future. Anyway. About AI in general, like, uh, I love Alex Svetsky's term for it, midwit obsolescence technology. Uh, <laughs> because, because, yeah, it, it uh, replaces all the jobs done by the, 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 um, the middle of the bell curve people. Uh, so, uh, but it can never replace original thoughts. And I think the, uh, 
The problem with the name intelligence is that it, it's not really intelligent. Is it, uh, it lacks agency. It cannot feel uneasy and therefore it can never do anything by its own free will. So, and I think that that aspect of intelligence is very underrated. Uh, what are your thoughts on AI in general? Yeah, it is. Intelligence is an interesting word. Uh, I would define it more like an, a novel way, way to analyze and arrange data to make uh, predictions and create outcomes. I think that could be called intelligence. I don't think AI is a terribly, terrible term. However, it does lack the ability to create something original, like you said. And that's the key. And that's, that's why humans can't be, at least at this point, un un until um, human engineers crack the, the essence of consciousness, which I don't expect to happen anytime soon, maybe never. So I, I don't think that can be simulated. So what it will, what it is right now and what I think it continues to be is an extremely efficient and powerful tool to use. It's just like, like Google, but just way better that now you can do art. Like for example, myself, like I'm, I'm able to compete with, uh, with real artists because of AI, because I have creativity. So I can, I can just prompt and then I can take it to Photoshop and I can prompt pieces of the picture like that. It's amazing to think that that exists right now. And this is year zero, by the way, for AI tools. And we know that they're only going to get better and better. So if you don't use AI right now, it is almost guaranteed that you're going to be left behind no matter what your field is, because you won't be able to compete. It's the same as adopting Bitcoin, really. Like it's the superior technology. Of course, the same way as Bitcoin, if you just rely on Bitcoin, it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stack and hold and everything's going to be fine and, and, and everything's going to be great. We're going to go to Bitcoin standard and you're not actually going to do anything with your Bitcoin. You're just going to hold on to it. It's a similar way that you, you just think that, oh yeah, I'm just going to throw an idea to ChatGTP and I'm going to copy paste it and call it a blog post. It's going to suck, I promise you. So you still have to do the work. You still have to do the creative work. You can just do it way, very faster right now, but it doesn't discount the, uh, your own proof of work. Yeah, I think this is an interesting uh, segue to a, a subject where we seem to differ slightly, uh, even though we... Uh, so Nico edited the Praxeology book with me as a, a, almost even co-wrote it, I would say, because we uh, we put a lot of effort into each, each uh, section there. And there's a section about money never being idle so when you save capital and when you when you hodl, as you say, you are not actually not using the bitcoins, but they are providing with you with a service at all times, and that service is mainly the sense of security you get from knowing that you have financial st stability, so that you uh, you can dare to do other stuff. So, what are your thoughts on that, Nico? Yeah, I mean, I've been triggering people a lot by saying that hodling is nothing. Uh, and it's, it only makes sense in the context of spending, which technically is is, uh, is true, at least the second part. Of course, hodling is not nothing. Like you said, it does provide you a service. That's why you do it. You make a trade with yourself to to save and not spend. Time preference uh, thinking. It's a savings technology. So you can save your energy for use later. That's a, That's a clear service. All I'm saying is that eventually you're going to want to eat. You're going to want to build a house. You're going to want to take a vacation. And at that point, 
if you're still using fiat and you're not like actively trying to move yourself and distance yourself from the destructive system, you're still kind of like hanging on the, the, the green teeth of fiat, um, things are going to slow down. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to be an anarchist right now and, and, you know, stop paying taxes or anything like that. It's not practical. It's, it's, it's just that uh, the mindset, like it takes much more work for us to put these tools to good use. Like they're still in beta level, you know, the monetary network tools that we have, maybe even alpha level. And people don't realize that. And it's some, sometimes a little bit annoying to see that people think that, you know, Bitcoin is a sure thing. We already won. And, and uh, there's so many problems still that need to be tackled. And all I'm encouraging, I'm encouraging people to think about that. Like there's nothing wrong uh, if you want to go to your, your uh, nine to fives and stack sats on the side. That's definitely better uh, than, than the other alternative of not having Bitcoin at all. But there's, you, you should, I think, and I want to progress on the steps of life. So what's the next step? Always thinking about the next step. How am I going to exit this fiat life eventually? Like if you don't put those things in motion, it's not ever going to happen because I don't believe, and this is probably something we disagree. I don't believe that fiat as, as an idea or communism as an idea is ever going to go away. Because like I said earlier, the basis of my story is that we go in circles and we just can come up with a new name for it. And people are going to accept it because that's what people do. They, they are, uh, authority dependent. So. I think it's up to us to show a better way, like how to build sustainably, how to use Bitcoin and AI and other tools and how to wield your freedom, how to claim your freedom, because you always had it, you just gave it away and, uh, how to stop being complacent. And I think we're all guilty for that. You know, I'm not trying to shit on anybody here, but yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of work, a lot of work to do. And I think we can do more and we should do more. Well, the. The way I see it, the, the, the two things are not mutually exclusive. I mean, uh, during Bitcoin's adoption phase, which is anything up to hyper-Bitcoinization, basically, it makes sense both to, uh, uh, to hodl and, and stack and save, but it also makes sense to, to set an example and show people the way. And, uh, I mean, that's why we're doing this show and that's why we're public Bitcoiners or whatever. I think that's, uh, but, but I think there's a point to both behaviors, definitely. And the one does not, uh, exclude, necessarily exclude the other. The best thing if, is if you can do both, uh, of course. And the most crucial thing is to, in my mind, is to accept Bitcoin for your goods and services. That's when you're a true Bitcoin and not when you start paying for stuff in Bitcoin or, when you start saving in Bitcoin, it's when you accept it for your labor and your time and your efforts, basically. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Like, that's why I like to say that saving Bitcoin or stacking or holding only makes sense in the context of spending it later. So you, you still do need a way to spend those. I mean, nobody accepts Bitcoin so far. So like you said, accepting Bitcoin is, is one for your services is uh, obviously the first step that you should take as long as it's possible. Certainly, if you work with Bitcoiners, you know, it's, it's never been a problem of mine. Okay, here's, uh, th this is another uh, fun point, which I've talked to Max Hillebrand about a lot. 
And that is the difference between saving and, and hodling. Because if you had used the word saving, I would have completely agreed with you that saving makes absolutely no sense if, uh, if there's not in the context of spending at a later date. Uh, like just hoarding money for the sake of hoarding money doesn't make any sense if you don't intend to spend it or if you don't intend for your children to spend it or like there's a spend point at some point in the future. But with hodling, that does not necessarily be, have to be the case because you could hodl with the intent of just destroying the Bitcoin at some point. I mean, Michael Saylor uh, uh, alluded to that on uh, uh, on this show about, um, you know, that being the most altruistic move there is to just die with your Bitcoins and taking them off market forever. And I wouldn't necessarily call that spending or maybe that should be considered spending. You know, I mean, you're you're sacrificing Bitcoin for the good of the network. But here, here's the here's the problem. Here's the problem with that, like. Bitcoin is never truly spent because that implies that it, it's no longer available. Bitcoins always have always existed and they always will continue to exist. So while I understand that taking money off the market, when you hodl it, that's an active act of decreasing the available liquid supply of Bitcoin. Obviously, that's a, that has an effect. However, if you die with your Bitcoin, like many people have, or people have lost their keys. I don't be- consider that as spending. I don't believe that uh, those coins are forever out of out of use. They can be claimed at a later date. Like for example, now there's uh, there was this hack on uh, not really hack. It, it was a bug of like really early wallets, and it's just a just a poor example. But to illustrate, uh, it's the. Uh, the, with the with the random num- number generation, so they were able to crack these really old wallets. So I, it, to me, it's conceivable that in the future we will come up with ways to claim the unhosted unhosted wallet, the the unused <laughs> wallet, <laughs> salvage uh, salvage it. You mean? I, I say that when I love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that... I, I think in the future, like this kind of like salvaging or treasure hunting will be a thing. Like there, there will be a profession of of actually just repurposing the non-upgraded wallets that are are uh, vulnerable to a, a quantum attack or whatever. So, for all intents and purposes, if the time lo- time horizon is infinite as it should be, then it's twenty one million or a little bit below whatever it is. It's not sixteen okay. million. And it's not going to be 10 million and it's not going to be one day, one Bitcoin. It's always going to be 21 million, always has been and always will be. Yes. And uh, it's just that the hash rate was zero before 2009. And uh, or I mean, the numbers always existed and and so on and so forth. But I'm going to devil's advocate the shit out of this one, Nick, or if you don't mind. Uh, Of course I don't. That's what I'm here for. I think that's a very dangerous thought because if you can salvage old Bitcoin addresses, as you say, that means you can salvage existing ones too, ones that are in use. Correct. Uh, especially if we've already ossified and there's uh, there's no more op- upgrades on the horizon at all. We know we we never know when we've reached that point, but it's probably sooner than people think that Bitcoin will never change again. And you say they can last forever or for an infinite amount of time. 
which I would say is physically impossible since we have about 5 billion years to spend them, I think, if, if I'm not wrong with the numbers here. But I know there is a limit where the sun will uh, <laughs> turn into a red dwarf and then a supernova or whatever and eat the Earth. And we can't really move the Bitcoins off Earth. There's no way to do that. We couldn't take them on a giant spaceship and... and uh, populate a, a new star system with them. That doesn't really work, and I don't see that problem going away anytime soon. Uh, th then again, it's pretty hard to predict the future for tomorrow. All right. You might have noticed that we've recently partnered with Amber App. After our episode with Izzy, their CEO and our close friend, we knew we would have to partner with them in some way. If you haven't seen our episode with Izzy, definitely go check it out. You'll see why it's such a great fit. And honestly, they're following the orange glowing light, like Izzy always says, and that's exactly what we try to do here at the Freedom Footprint Show. The big news about Amber App is that on Jan 3, 2024, they're going to be launching their version 2.0. I've seen some of the screenshots and it looks fantastic. They're going to be including a non-custodial on-chain wallet, an anonymous lightning wallet, a fiat wallet, and finally, it's going to be an exchange, of course. It's going to be just this super app. They're also going to be launching globally. Everyone's going to be able to use it. We're really excited about all that. Stay tuned with us and you'll hear all about it. And for now, check out their website, amber.app, and the episode with Izzy to find out more. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience, adding advanced features for power users. They just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi Sabi protocol. So they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Oh, there we go. So Joe there's buys actually, a planet, all right. There's actually an, a story about <laughs> intergalactic Bitcoin mining on the book. I had to plug that in. Yeah. How does that work, though? Because that, this is a thing. I, I'm, I think a lot about the hash horizon, since you couldn't sync your node if you were more than 10 light uh, minutes away from Earth, which means that you could sync a node on Mars that, like for three months per year or something, and then Mars is too far away, so... It, would only work on Mars for a couple of months. Uh, I mean, custodial Bitcoin and paper Bitcoin works everywhere, but still, uh, there is a hash horizon. And it's fun to think about that and think about, a, in the context of thinking about a consciousness horizon and, uh, you know, reality only being where our, where our memes converge and stuff. And there might be some, some weird shit going on here. Uh, Let's not go too deep with it, though. Like, how do you solve the hash horizon problem and taking Bitcoins to another planet? Well, I think uh, you're, you're making a crucial assumption here. You're, you're talking uh, heliocentric. So, I mean, let's think about the universe for a while. Like, how likely it is that there are other advanced human-like intelligent life forms? Well, given that it, we believe if we make that assumption that universe is infinite, then it should be infinitely possible and likely. 
Now, how likely it is that they've come up with the concept of absolute scarcity and, and Bitcoin. And about the development, to backtrack a little bit so that it makes sense, I don't think ossification in the, in the way that people normally talk about it is ever going to happen with anything. Like when has that happened? When has something been set in stone forever and never changed? Like I, I well, think the circle, uh, uh, the definition of a circle is pretty, pretty set in stone, isn't it? Well, okay. I'll give you that one. Sure. There's, there's some ossified things, but let's, uh, let's think about like so software, like Bitcoin is, um, is a software solution after all. Uh, that uses is hardware. Yes. And it will, it, it is going to need upgrades as, as we, uh, venture into the space, as, as we tap into more of the energy, as we approach Kardashian one, like you only like to say, Car Bitcoin is Kardashian one money. I re really love that one. And the hash horizon problem is really only a problem from the perspective. If you assume that, uh, earth is going to be the center of all humanity forever. I don't think no, that they, part Okay, okay. let me clear that up a bit. I My assumption is that we reach uh, some type of ossification before we reach the stars. That's the only assumption. Sure, that's fair. Okay, there's, there's another assumption here. Like, if the universe is infinite, then there are infinite copies of Bitcoin uh, an Correct. infinite number of times. Like, if, if any type of infinity exists, then everything exists in infinite copies somewhere exactly like so like you can't have you can't just have there's only one way to define infinity and that is that everything's infinite so but there's another way to look at the universe if um if it's true uh, what we talked about with jeff the other week that consciousness creates reality to a larger extent than we think then what we experience as objective reality might just be where our consciousness consciousnesses collide and we're all conscious beings worldviews sort of merge into objective reality which would explain why we haven't seen any life on other anywhere else in the universe because it's simply too far away for us to sync with so it doesn't work with the time <laughs> dimension which would be the hash horizon of of life and if that is the case then there is no infinity it's all subjective and then there's abs then there's absolutely a hash uh, uh, no, no way of getting uh, Bitcoin into space. I think uh, my point was more like there's no way that Bitcoin is gonna be brought to Earth from space. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like alien like coin. you said, so infinite amount of. And this is also another story that is also in in, in the book. <laughs> uh, it's it's fun to think about this. Like, let, let's say, that, let's assume that it's true that another more advanced species has come up with Bitcoin a million years ago. Now, the only, only, yeah. only thing that the is longer, stopping... Longer chain, basically. Yeah, the only, only thing that is stopping them from coming and reorganizing our chain is that they don't give a shit about doing that. And at what point it does it become intergalactic hash war? Or if that kind of a thing might ever exist. I mean, it's possible, although I have to say that the, with Bitcoin's uh, uh, proof of work and difficulty adjustment and unconfiscatability properties should in the long run result in a more peaceful society. So perhaps 
if if there is an advanced alien race somewhere, maybe they just simply want to leave us alone, as as everybody should be left alone. That's the only right that we are born with. Yeah, can I can I uh, uh, poke a, a little bit as well? If I've it's, it's been great, by the way. I've I've uh, wanted to um, yeah, jump in a couple of times. Um, so 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 this one. Uh, how would some kind of alien race? get the resources to to get more hash rate for our chain because theirs is going to be different. It's not that SHA-256 is going to be the same algorithm, although I guess we play with infinities, an infinite number of Bitcoins that are based on exactly SHA-256 exist, I suppose. But now this is making my brain hurt. No, well, okay, let, let, let me do an abstract, even abstracter example here, if, if you don't mind, Luke. Now I'm doing the thing again, I know. But uh, let's say for argument's sake that they have uh, the exact same Bitcoin. So an alien comes from uh, Alpha Centauri or something with the exact same Bitcoin as we have, except their chain is longer because they figured it out in 2005 or something or whatever the the year was on that planet. Uh, But point is they have a longer chain. Still, if there are 10-minute block intervals... Uh, they couldn't sync anything outside of their planet, so so they can't even get to outside of their star system with without uh, and take their bitcoins with them. It doesn't work uh, because because of because of differences in time and like how the fuck would you sync a chain? H- how far away is Alpha Centauri again? Like four point three light years. So how would you sync? <laughs> If you had block times of four point three years, like that, that looks nothing like our chain at all. So, okay, just just to open that box. Yeah, so I, I think all of these uh, like piercing hash horizon must imply faster than light, uh, faster than light data transmission capability, some kind of uh, quantum wormhole or whatever it might look like. We don't know yet. What I do know, or I think is that it's a matter of time before that is, in fact, invented, just like everything else. Like People always think that nothing, that something is permanent and it will never change and we will never come up with a better way. And we do, eventually. So, yeah, all of these scenarios, they obviously imply that the, 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 the race, the alien race or the human race must come up with the, well, first reads Carter 1 to be able to harness all the planet, uh, all the power available in the planet. And we're not even close to that, like not even scratching the surface there. Once that happens, then you move to Kardashev 2, which is harnessing the, the whole, um, uh, solar system. And once you're there, you kind of like already have to have faster than light transmit transmission capability. So then hash horizon doesn't matter anymore because you can, in fact, synchronize your blocks through a wormhole to, you know, billions of light years, if that should be possible. Okay, well, I think this hash horizon stuff is interesting, interesting, but can we, can it still fix the money before we get to hash horizon issues? Maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm contradicting myself because, you know, I keep telling people we should focus on fixing, uh, fixing the human problems and human incentive models here on Earth. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's sometimes boring. To think about it. It, it is boring. It is very, very boring and safe and uh, blah. Much, 
much more fun to think about the alien races uh, co-opting yeah. our chain. Here's the thing, though. With light speed, like light speed is connected to time very much. So if you travel in light speed, theoretically time stands still. So, so, so what you're talking about is some sort of quantum entanglement uh, data transfer so that you could uh, interact with a particle that was very, very far away from you. And I guess uh, with binary, that is um, at least theoretically possible in some some way, shape, or form in the future, maybe. This is very, very far-fetched. But, but anyway, so let's say for argument's sake that you can do that, that would, uh, what you could send then to other, would that imply sending some type of intergalactic ordinal to, uh, to form a J uh, JPEG monkey on another, um, in another star system? Like, is that how that would work? Yeah. How people are people are gonna look back at this conversation in a hundred years and think that we're very very clever, aren't they? <laughs> of course, that's the hope. Yeah, I mean, it it will most likely be used, or I mean, it's already being used to is is for inscribing messages. In like Satoshi started it. I mean, it's it's a core property of, of the Bitcoin chain that you can immortalize words, which yes. is what Bitcoin is. So I, I think that's a that's a use case definitely. Let's let's say that we have a a colony in Mars or somewhere even further, and we have that worm wormhole technology that introduces an, another interesting uh, problem because if something would go wrong with that uh, wormhole converter, then you would have uh, have the chain split in two. It would have the minority chain on the on the colony and the majority chain on Earth. So that's going to be uh, interesting if if the wormhole goes back online. Because then everything that happened in the smaller chain is going to get reorganized. And quantum particles exist in both states at once. So you have Schrodinger's wormhole here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the whole bunch of chains existing at the same time, which might be the case at the moment as well, by the way. Exactly. That's, that's the point. That, that's the point. Like the, the only question is why, why wouldn't somebody attack somebody else's chain? And I think the reason is incentives. Which is what uh, Bitcoin yeah. does help with greatly. Yeah, speaking speaking about this ordinal scrap and uh, the uh, yeah. being able to store arbitrary data on the on the time chain, like I've, I've been trying to come up with an easy way to explain what what my thoughts are around this thing, and it's it's pretty hard. The thing is that any type of arbitrary data that you store on on the chain. It, the relevance of that data is entirely subjective as everything else like the the value of of that arbitrary data is is you know in the eye of the beholder as everything else the point is though that the the token representing the value i mean the satoshi will since, since that has a function as the a damn near perfect money over time the satoshi itself will have a higher marginal utility than any other type of information you can put on the chain. I think that's the way uh, to to explain that to people, that you can't out-scarcity Bitcoin. <laughs> like, you can't out-scarce Bitcoin. You, can, you can't make, even, even if you mint a new token up on, on top of Bitcoin, that you promise to issue only this or that many coins in 
like I mean, you could do that over and over and over again. So you run into the same problem as with the shitcoins. The native token will always be the the most valuable one because of the very nature of um, how we value things or diminish this. It's basically uh, the law of diminishing marginal utility. I'm having a hard time expressing this. Can you tell this in a simpler way, Nico, you think? Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot and no promises though. But like you said earlier, everything's subjective and, and we know this, uh, all the value is uh, ba- based off the marginal utilitarian perceived hierarchy of ones, let's say that. So everything is infinitely subjective. And uh, if we subscribe, as I do, to the model that uh, consciousness creates reality and not, the, not vice versa. But by the way, uh, a book recommendation just came to me, uh, the um, Biocentrism by Robert Lanza. Highly recommend it on, on the topic. Really, really good one. Uh, good takes on how consciousness creates reality. Now, if, if that is true, that, that still doesn't take away the absolute absoluteness of scarcity. Like you can improve on a technology and software, but you can't improve on absolute scarcity because that's why it's it's absolute. You can probably maybe destroy absolute scarcity with technology, with a better technology that's conceivable, but it's highly unlikely because it's much more likely than the, that the software will, um, continue to develop with times and enforce the, the rules that make, make uh, absolute scarcity possible. The show is also sponsored by Orange Mill app, the Bitcoin only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. You can see what's going on in your local area and connect with Bitcoiners around you. I've been to multiple events organized on Orange Mill app and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. And now with group chat, it's easier than ever to stay in touch with all of your Bitcoin friends. The best part is that you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill app because everyone pays to be there. So download Orange Pill app on Apple or Android, send me or Canoe to DM, and start building your local network of Bitcoiners today. Next up, the Bitcoin way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. Go to thebitcoinway.com contact for more info. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out Geyser at geyser.fund today. Maybe to, to bring this uh, back in uh, a little bit, do you have uh, a preview of any of the other stories? Uh, got a lot of this sci-fi stuff, Hash Horizon, interesting things. Anything uh, else you want to highlight? Let me look at my notes here. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting story about cryo freezing. Yeah. I think you're going to enjoy that one. It's, it's about how um, a man uh, freezes themselves in, uh, at, at the height of their wealth. And, um, you know, before they die, they want to take their Bitcoin with them and uh, wake up later. But uh, the way waking up doesn't go quite as, as planned, wakes up into a, a nightmare dystopia. I'm not going to spoil what kind of that is, but that's, that's a really interesting story. There's a, uh, the only story is pretty, pretty interesting take. It's, it's uh, sort of like uh, this uh, medieval fantasy setting uh, that, that is talking about uh, psychedelic awakening of humankind, but it was set in a medieval fantasy setting. Really nice story. Sounds it's, like Yoni. Yeah. Yoni is a fantastic uh, fiction writer, by the way, I, I can tell. <laughs> uh, I, I struggle with writing f um, fiction. Like, I, I just can't do that. It's just not what I do. I, I, but at least I learned something. And we we managed to uh, salvage the story into something decent in the end. And, uh, anyway, I, I think. It's, it's, it's not bad. You're being too hard on yourself. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you are, you are better with uh, nonfiction for sure. Uh, what else do we got? Well, we got a, a farce, like I mentioned, a comedy that is um, borderlining like a crazy comedy from the from the nineties, and uh, we have a AI sentient getting sentient type of story. That's always fun. I enjoy those. Oh, have you guys seen the movie Her? By the way, it's a pretty old one, two thousand thirteen, I believe. Yeah, with Shaquille Phoenix, right? Uh, haven't seen haven't seen it, unfortunately. Oh, you got Scarlett you Johansson, watch it. I think played played the AI. Yes, uh, but I haven't seen it. And uh, I, I, it's made in 2013, so it's it's quite accurate representation of what I think is going to maybe possibly happen. But anyway, but guys, I, I, guys I, I, falling in love with bots—that's happening every day. I mean, that's already. <laughs> I mean, that's already. Yeah, that part is already happening. Yeah, yeah. We we have some historical alternative historical takes. Um, rewriting the history or, or reinterpreting the history in a, in a future light. And we have some crime detective stories. Uh, we have some horror, some, some mystery. And then we have some, uh, feel good orange peeling, uh, hodling stories, of course. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty diverse mix, I would say. Yeah. You showed us a manuscript before you have that there. Uh, I mean, for those of you listening, this is uh, a pile of papers here with says 21 futures. And this is the first manuscript, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first one in print. Yeah. And the pictures aren't in there, I guess. The pictures are here, but of course they look like shit. Um, cause I just used my laser, <laughs> laser jets. Let, let me see. Right. If I can, but well, the, here's the, this is one of the better. Oh arts. yeah. 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 Nice. I can show um, got one of my favorite stories, the butterfly, the detective story. Really nice. Uh huh. And then, of cool, course, cool. Me, Mr. Knut's one Holmes uh, story. Oh, Work really hard on this art. I'm, I'm really happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That looks very much like what I envisioned in my head. So, uh, uh, good job. Well, I think we've done a nice showcase for the 21 Futures, so go check that out at bitcoinbook.shop. That's also where you can get all of Knut's books, a whole ton of other books in translation. Anything else you want to highlight or talk about, Nikol Consensus related or otherwise? Oh, that's pretty much it. I'm, uh, this is the project that I've been the most excited this year. 
Uh, it's a it's a world first. It's the first original production for us. It's got twenty one future uh, twenty one authors writing about twenty one stories. I'm really excited to see if it does well and how people like the stories because uh, so far it's only been me and Phil who read all of the stories. So we don't really know what the market reaction to this will be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the, to, to see how, how this is. Everything else has sort of taken a back seat for me right now. I know that we're publishing left and right all, all the time. Like we have, we still have like five titles coming up this year by Christmas, different languages, including Berger, uh, uh, how to think about, uh, economics or whatever the title was. I haven't read that book, oh, yeah. but apparently it's very good. Yeah. And Lynn Alden's book, right? Oh yeah, we're doing, um, this is also one of the new services that we provide to, to authors to handle the translations. Yes, that's, that's how we started. That's how we, uh, that's what we specialize yeah. in managing the language translations. That doesn't mean we do all the translations ourselves. We, we do fives all in, uh, but we, whenever there's a request and there's a lot of requests and, and uh, demand for Lynn's book, amazingly so. So we, we just handle all of that and make sure that uh, the book gets the proper treatment and, and gets the professional uh, publisher, local publisher to handle it and, uh, and a mutually beneficial deal uh, on royalties, of course. So it's, it's like a language agent service. And that one has, has been doing really well. It's something we also uh, been, do, been doing uh, for Cypheidian since the beginning. And uh, yeah, we, we actually just recently re reached 10 versions of Bitcoin standard, uh, our own publications. And that's not including the ones that we help help with. So that's, uh, that's our specialization, but um, I'm really bullish about the original production. We have uh, the first original French book coming out Christmas. That's going to be interesting. And uh, there's another book uh, about the history of uh, Mt. Gox and, and Carpalis. I haven't heard of that book. Apparently it's only available in French, so we'll have to translate in, it into English. We're working on that. That that should be an interesting historical read. So more and more venturing into these uh, not directly Bitcoin related things, also libertarian books, like the Free Cities conference in Prague is really great. The Liberty in a Lifetime met a ton of be cool people there. They're basically Bitcoiners because they come from libertarian background. So very fertile ground for this kind of things. And I, I want to include in our library more and more of libertarian books that are, in my opinion, Bitcoin books, but uh, Bitcoin might not even be mentioned at all. And this is also part of the whole idea of taking the next step to broaden our market. Because let's face it, we're, we're currently selling for, uh, for Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners want uh, reinforcement to their own ideas. They want to read uh, feel-good stories like Newt, for example, bullish, bullish things to reinforce uh, their their own convictions. But I'm interested in uh, waking up more people. And I think Bitcoin might not be the first step. Um, I don't think it was the first step for me. I became a freedom maximalist long before I became a, a Bitcoin guy. A Bitcoin for me is just a, just a tool. And I believe that that's the path to take uh, with other people as well. So less, less Bitcoin, more liberty. And that's why I, I now profile consensus as freedom publishing house rather than Bitcoin publishing house. Even though Bitcoin is obviously still very much, uh, the main, main focus.
but that's probably not how we should be marketing this, these books and these things to people. Yeah. Luke, can you bring up bitcoinbook.shop on, on, on screen maybe? So this is uh, bitcoinbook.shop where you can find all these Bitcoin books and uh, Mises-oriented books and uh, the translations of them. So, so explain to us here, uh, uh, Nico, how, how does this page work and then how do you find a book and how do you pay for it? Sure. Uh, first of all, I have to apologize to everybody because currently our website sucks. We're working on it um, to improving it right now. It takes you to this landing page, which just has the most recent titles, which is kind of confusing because we have the Norwegian Bitcoin standard. We have a French book. We have a libertarian book. We have 21 futures. We have a French version of the Bitcoin handbook. And uh, you have to go to collections to, to pick your language or you can use the search. So if you click on the English, you will see our English titles. And then um, you, you can sort them in, in any way you, way you like. But yeah, we, we're working on improving the UX because currently it's not great. Apart from that problem, it works like any other web shop. You click on the book, put it in your basket. If you have a discount code like uh, Knut's Van Home, for example, you can slap that in during the checkout process and they get 10% off and support the, the author. Uh, who has that code? It's a it's a great way to save money and uh, so show your support. Yeah, that's the way you do. It. And then of course, uh, once once you get to the checkout, then you have to fill in your address, obviously, and phone number for the delivery, and then you get to get an option to pay with in fiat or in Bitcoin. And I have to say that I I'm being really surprised that. So many people still choose to use Bitcoin, even though it's it's the bear market. Like 50% of our sales are in Bitcoin and most of those in Lightning. Uh, it's pretty amazing considering we we uh, got rid of the 10% discount we, we used to have from day one for using Bitcoin. I don't think we need that anymore. Like Bitcoin is already the superior way to pay. So, I mean, if, if you would uh, get a 10% discount, that's just uh, gravy on top of the cake. So I, I, I think it's redundant. You don't need that. If anything, we should instate a fiat hazard fee and, and make the Bitcoin price the correct price and then uh, charge more for fiat because that's, that's the, that is actually the case. We have way more expenses uh, to cover with, uh, with credit card payments. But yeah, that's how it works. The Bitcoin payments themselves work really well. Like we haven't had really any, any problems. The only problems may become when somebody's using an obscure wallet that doesn't support the QR code we have, the combined QR code, which has the on-chain address and the lightning address. Or if the purchase is so large that somewhere during the, the transfer, there's not enough liquidity on a channel. But like 99%, it works perfectly just as it in, intended. So I'm really proud of the, the Bitcoin payment rails we have. And people seem to like it because they prefer to pay in Bitcoin. We prefer to be paid in Bitcoin. People prefer to pay in Bitcoin, which is fantastic. Love to hear it and uh, looking forward to everything consensus related in the future and looking forward to see where, where, where it all goes. And uh, yeah, and looking forward to getting that recipe for cake with gravy on top that you talked about. Uh, uh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think this uh, is a good place to wrap up. What do you think, Luke? Uh, is there anything you want to add, Nico? Uh, we already asked that, I guess, but we... we uh... <laughs> yeah, you're trying to mail, mail it something. 
the power of people. Yeah, I, I think I said everything and, and uh, it's been a good talk. Thank you very much again for inviting me. And uh, yeah, one more thing is, is uh, do check our YouTube channel. It's been a little bit dormant for, for a while, but now there's a new show about 21 Futures. So if you are curious about this project, I think the best way at the moment is to go and watch some of those videos, uh, including Knut's. Uh, Yoni is going to be out uh, next week. Uh, mine is mine is uh, out already and, and a couple of other authors. So the author is going to talk about their story, how they got involved, talk about the project, how, they, how did it work, how was the experience. So um, check that out. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, where do we find you on uh, online? At uh, Omnifin, right? Yeah. Omnifin on Twitter and also on Telegram. I'm on Telegram every day, all day. So that's the best way to reach me. Uh, Twitter, lately I've been getting more into shit posting. So watch out for those. And of course, follow Consensus uh, Twitter, Consensus N. Um, that, that one is um, also doing a lot of shit posting. So good content there. Yeah, Consensus with a K. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Nico. Keep rocking. Uh, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and brush your teeth, people. And uh, see you in the next one. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening.